today. If you couldn't tell, uh, things are a little different around here. Um, and if you're a guest with us today, the, uh, we don't normally have movie posters up in our lobby, and we're not normally giving away candy, but we're starting a series called At the Movies. And what we're doing with the series is taking Hollywood movies, we're taking biblical truths from those movies, and, and relaying the gospel in a really practical way. And if this is something that you think your coworkers or neighbors or family members would be interested in, I want to encourage you, invite them. Uh, take some of these cards that are out in our lobby. Take some to your work. Take them uh, home with you. Invite your neighbors. And let's get them here uh, this weekend, next weekend, the following for these three weekends of, of uh, September, we're believing God to do some really great things. And so what we're doing is we're looking at individual movies each week and, and lifting those biblical truths out of those films. And the movie we're going to be looking at today is McFarland USA. And it might not be a film that you're familiar with, but it came out uh, earlier this year and it came out in February of 2015. But the movie is about a man named Jim White. He was a high school football coach he had been let go, and, uh, and in the film, he took the only job he could get, which was in a little um, Californian town of McFarland. And McFarland was a very uh, Hispanic community. It was, it was filled with Mexican immigrants, and most of them picked for a living. They, they picked in agricultural settings, and that's what they did, morning to dark. Uh, even the kids, they would go pick in the morning before school. They would get up real early and they would go pick. They would go to school and they would come home, uh, go to the field after school was over with, and they would pick until dark so they could get their hours in and make a living. So when Coach White and his family moved to McFarland, it was a culture shock. It was a culture shock for them because it was a new community, it was a new culture, and they felt very, very isolated because they, nothing was comfortable, nothing was normal for them. Coach White was also the PE coach, and while he was in class, he would make the students run laps, and he began to notice there were some students that ran incredibly well, that ran faster than any of the other students, and he decided he wanted to begin a cross-country team. But the problem was, cross-country was, was not a sport that they already had at their school, and it was a poor school, so they didn't have the funds, they weren't really sure how to do it, but one of the biggest problems was um, he knew that to, to make it happen, he would have to convince a few people that they should be a part of it. Stop buying those girls and get over here. Yes. <laughs> I want to ask you a question. You think the guys in my class would be in the cross country? <laughs> country western ain't my thing, boss. Cross country running, wise guy. <laughs> For what? To win, to compete. Mm -hmm. To impress girls. Nobody wins around here, White. Doesn't have to be that way. I watched you run. You can beat somebody. I felt like it. Which I don't. What do you say? You want to help me get a team together? <laughs> How many do we need? Seven. You can start with that knucklehead. <laughs> Johnny, make sure one of those guys is Thomas Velez. Hey, yes, sir. You want to be on the running team? Nope. Come on, man. Just think about it. Say yes. Hey! I want to talk to you guys about a running team. Johnny. You want to be on the running team? I'll be on the running team. You guys want to be on the running team? Hey! I got you now, Cardenas. You are this far from Jew, son. Jose, 
You give me my change? My change got stuck in the machine. Asked Jose to get it out for me. You're not helping them, White. What's it do that for? Congratulations. Just made the cross country team. Yo, man, I told you to stay with me. Don't do that! Don't do that! And so did Thomas Bellows. Do me a favor, Vias. Act a little happier. The coach just negotiated you out of the suspension. Danny Diaz? Hey, we needed seven. Yeah, seven runners, not six runners in. Danny Diaz. Hey, Danny's our anchor. See if those legs work as fast as your mouth. Elmo Bridge and back, go. Go. Hey, I mean it, all right? You're my anchor, Danny, and not because you're fat. And you are a little fat, okay? So you better lose some weight. So why am I the anchor? Because you're going to hold this team steady. I lose you, I'll lose your brothers. You're important, yes. Let's go. Danny Diaz, you haven't even seen the whole movie yet. Just chill out. You don't have to clap yet. It's good. <laughs> Danny Diaz wanted to be on the team, uh, but he didn't look the part, did he? He didn't look like he would be a cross-country runner. He did not look like a guy who would uh, be an important part of a cross-country team. One of the things I think we discover in Scripture and one of the things I think we can find from this film is that we win better together. There's a passage of Scripture, it's in Acts chapter 2, when Jesus ascended into heaven, he told his followers, he said, uh, to go and wait for the Holy Spirit in the upper room, to go and wait. He said, I'm sending a comforter for you, but go and wait in this room. And so they, the followers of Jesus went up to this room and they prayed and they were waiting on the, the, the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And this is what it says in Acts chapter two, verse one. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And that word together doesn't mean that they were just in a room together, that they were just physically present in the same place. What it means is they were unified in one spirit, they were unified with one purpose, that they were all together. I don't know if you've ever been someplace, maybe you were with someone, but you did not feel like you were together. You knew that you were in a, in a place together, but you knew that we are not unified. We're not on the same page. Um, my, my youngest daughter always gets uncomfortable when I tell stories about old girlfriends. I didn't have very many. Um, but when I was in college, um, after church one day, there was a whole group of college students together. And I said, hey, who's, who's going to get lunch today? Who, who's going? Several people, well, no, I can't today, I can't, no, and yeah, I'm, I got plans already here. And a lot of times we would all go together, and there was one person who said, I can go to lunch, and it was this girl, her name was Lilani. And uh, Lilani sounds exotic, but Lilani was not a girl I was interested in dating. Um, she, uh, her style was not exactly what I was interested in, if I can say it, if I can say it uh, in a kind way. Um, and so I was like, okay, let's go get lunch. And I was like, I've never been on an involuntary date before, but this is what I'm on right now. And so we're sitting at lunch and we're talking and just making chit chat. And I knew I probably was not interested in dating this girl, but uh, somehow the topic came up on beauty. And 
And she said, well, do you know who I think the most beautiful woman in the world is? I said, no, I'm, I'm curious. Who is the most beautiful woman in the world? And she said, Pamela Anderson Lee. Are you kidding me? And I was like, are you kidding me? And at that point, I was ready, like, check, I'm ready. Like, let's just end this now. And we were at this meal together, but we were not together. There was no connection. There was no unity. There was no uh, singular vision. It was just we happened to be eating a meal at the same place, at the same table. But that was it. And sometimes in life, we walk through life that way. We've got people around us, but we're not together. And what we see here on the day of Pentecost, these people were in the room, they were praying, and they were together. They had one purpose, and they had one vision, they had one focus, and they all had varying backgrounds and varying um, skill sets, but they were in one place saying, God, we want to see you move miraculously. And if you look later in that passage, after the Holy Spirit descended on them, they they walked out of that place, and they saw 3,000 people give their lives to Jesus that day. 3,000 people converted from from Judaism to Christianity that day. It was pretty incredible. And it happened because the power of God moved through some people who were together. And I will tell you that when we are together, incredible things happen. We win better together. The truth is we need each other. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 9 says this, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And although a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. What is this passage saying? It's saying we are better together. When we are unified together with one purpose and one cause and one vision, Nothing can break us apart. We can overcome incredible odds. We win better together. One of the things we see scripturally and one of the things we see in this story is that every person matters to the team. Every person matters and every individual has value. See, in cross country, um, in, in the rules according to the state of California were that the top five finishers in a race scored points for your team. If you finish sixth or seventh, you did not get points. So when Danny Diaz heard that, he said, well, what's the point of me running? I can't even help the team. Because he knew, I'm not going to finish fifth. I'm not getting any points for this team. And the way the point system worked was, the, the higher you finished, the higher your points were. So if you were the first place finisher in the race, you got one point. If you finished second, you get two points, and so on. If you finished 77th, you'd get 77 points. Does that make sense? So Danny Diaz looks at this and he goes, how can I help? I'm the worst runner on this team. And the coach tells him, I don't need you to finish in the top five. I just need you to beat everybody else on the other teams as much as possible. Because every person that he would beat on the other team took away points for their team. Does that make sense? So he said, Danny, I just need you to run your best race. You're the anchor for this team. Your your cohesiveness is going to keep this team together. And the coach told him, you are important to this team. You make a difference to this team. And in the body of Christ, it's easy for us to look around and say, well, hey, my gifting is not as good as their gifting. I can't sing at all, right? But man, Bailey Engel, that that girl can sing. Like, she can't just sing, she sangs, like with an A. That girl can sing, right? I can't do that. So my gifting must not be as important as hers. 
Man, I could never lead a women's ministry like Kim can. I could never do something. So my gifting's not as important as hers. And what we do is we have the scale of what's important and not important, but what we must understand is that every role is valuable. Every one of us are important to the body of Christ. No matter what your role is, no matter what your gifting is, no matter what your talent is, you matter to the team because we win better together. 1 Corinthians, Paul talks to the church at Corinth about us being a body, the body of Christ. Let me read this to you. He says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Now listen to this. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink one spirit. What is he saying? He's saying, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter if you're Jewish or Gentile or Greek. It doesn't matter what language you speak. It doesn't matter what your background is. You have value to the body. And he goes on in that passage to talk about the human body. And he said, what would it be like if we, if we were just an eye? How effective would we be? Not very. We'd be able to see great, Right? But we couldn't communicate. We couldn't say what we needed to say. He said, what if we were just a hand? What if we were just a foot? How effective would we be? The truth is we need every member of the body functioning at optimum capacity in order for the body to be healthy. Every member is important. Every part of the body is important to the health of the body. It's not that one is more important than the other. They're all important. And they all come together to help us win to help us do what God has called us to do. Paul concludes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 with verse 27. He says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. See, you're not just members of a church, you're members of the body of Christ. And every member has value. Every member has a role. Every member is important in helping this team win and helping us do what we're called to do. Every person and now I will tell you this, what we're, what we're communicating, what we're talking about today, the principles that we're talking through are biblical, but they apply to this church, they apply to your work, they apply to your family. Any group of people that you're a part of, these principles work for that group. So apply this to your family. Every member of your family matters. Even the ones that are cantankerous, even the ones that are hard to get along with, even your teenager that thinks you're the stupidest person that ever lived. Don't worry, in about 10 years, they're going to think you're the smartest person that ever lived. Every member of the body matters because together we win better. Coach White began investing in his students. He didn't want to be in McFarland. It was kind of a last option for him. So it took him a while to begin investing into his students, into his athletes. He got to know them a little bit. And as he began investing in them, he, he saw how they lived, and he saw their homes, he, he saw their families, he got to know them. And as he began to really know them, they began to have more success as a team. They started winning meets and getting attention locally in a sport that usually only private schools participated in. As they began seeing success, some important things began to change for the boys. Jimmy, you have a minute? Listen to this, it's from Jose Cárdenas. We fly like blackbirds through the orange groves, floating on a warm wind. When we run, we own the earth. The land is ours. We speak the birds' language. Not immigrants no more. Not stupid Mexicans. 
When we run, our spirits fly. We speak to the gods. When we run, we are the gods. It's good work, White. Jose's a good kid. I don't mean Jose. Welcome to McFarland Blanco. Kids and kick their butts till they toughened up. <laughs> you think that's funny? You being up some white kids, white? I think that's funny. <laughs> you know, I don't know if you know, but if we keep going the way we're going, you guys have a chance to qualify for state. Really? Yeah, really. But it doesn't matter what I think, okay? I can't do it for you. And I don't have to be the one to tell you that the odds are stacked against you. But if you, if you believe in yourselves, and maybe more importantly, you find a way to believe in each other, in your teammates, it won't matter what anyone else thinks. That's the beauty of sports. We don't practice to lose, Holmes. I mean, coach. You don't eat the produce, coach. What? You don't eat the produce. First rule of picking. You eat it, you're fired. God, I'm... I'm sorry, guys. I... I didn't... <laughs> <laughs> All of you dead. qualify, your world can start to look very different. Coach, don't you mean if? No, I mean when. All right, so start thinking about what college you're going to apply to. Cal Poly's got agriculture, crop science, viticulture. You'd be surprised if you kids knew half that stuff already. <laughs> Think about it, guys. Cal Poly's only a few hours from here, all right? You can still help your parents out on the weekend, but you get a degree you get a degree, you have to read it to get a degree, you're going to be able to help them out a lot more than the money you make out in the fields, right? See, one of the important things that began to happen for these young men is they began to dream differently than they ever had before. For most of them, they were kind of relegated to the idea that they were always going to be pickers. Their parents were pickers, their parents were pickers, so as a result, the kids were going to be pickers. That was what their ambition was in life. That was all they knew, that's all they were ever going to be. But what began to happen is they began to dream about what might be instead of what the inevitable truth was. Um, they began to think maybe it was a possibility to go to college. Maybe it was a possibility for us to achieve something great in this sport. Maybe we could win. Maybe we could go to state. Maybe we could do these things. They began to open up their horizons and dream about the possibilities. See, sometimes we're no different. Sometimes we look at our circumstances and we relegate our lives and our destiny to the fact that, well, 
We can never be more than what we are now. We say things like, you know what, my family's poor, so I'm probably always going to be poor. Or my family's uneducated, so I'll probably never be educated. I'll never go to college. We say things like, this is just how things are. We say things like, things can never change. Things are always going to be like this. My marriage is always going to stay the same. My job is always going to be the same. It's never going to get any better. I just need to settle. I just need to understand that this is the way things are. And what we've done is we've, we've capped our ability for God to allow us and help us to dream a God-sized dream for our lives. What we have to understand is we, don't, we not only win better together, we dream bigger together as well. There's a passage of scripture that I had never really paid much attention to, uh, but the Apostle Paul, he had spent most of his life, um, he'd spent a good portion of his life persecuting Christians. And after he converted to Christianity, he had an experience with Jesus. He began planting churches all over the eastern part of the Roman Empire, into Asia, um, into uh, all along the, the Mediterranean, doing incredible things, planting churches. Basically, anywhere the Roman Empire was in the eastern part of that empire, he went. And in Romans chapter 15, he, he, had, he was writing this letter to the Roman church, and then he was explaining, hey, my work has kind of settled down over here, and I would, like to, I would like to come that way. But this is what he says in Romans 15, 22. He says, this is the reason why I've so often been hindered from coming to see you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. This is what Paul's saying, because you look at this passage and it doesn't seem like there's a lot to it or it's that meaningful. But what Paul is saying to the church at Rome is, man, I've been working like crazy on the eastern part of the empire. I've been planting churches, I've worked my finger to the bone, and I've been wanting to come see you, but I haven't been able to because of my work. But my work has settled down here, God's shifted my vision, and now there's more for me to do. And he said, now I'm going to Spain. And the big deal about that was the Roman Empire had spread uh, westward into Spain. It was a large agricultural area. And you see in Roman history that several emperors came from Spain. And it was an area that was, gar uh, that was building uh, influence globally. And Paul said, I want to be there. I don't want to just go there. I want to go plant some churches and I want to go reach some people and I want to go see what God will do. But this is the thing about Paul. He was already pretty old at this point. He was not a young man. He, he had lived a long life already to this point. He had been very successful. He'd planted lots of churches and no one would have blamed him for saying, you know what? I've done a lot and I'm going to go to Spain, but I'm not going to go minister. I'm going to go retire on the beach. I'm going to go drink some sweet tea, because that's what they did in the Old Testament. They drank sweet tea, if you didn't know that. Trust me, I'm a Bible scholar. I know this, okay? But Paul said, no, 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 I'm not going to retire. I'm not going to relax. I'm not going to kick, back my, kick up my heels. I'm going to work, because God's put a vision and a dream in my heart to go reach people in Spain. But he doesn't stop there. He says, but I can't do it on my own. I want to do this. I believe God's got something really big for me, but, but I need you to catch this vision. I need you to be a part of it because together we can dream bigger. We don't have to just reach a portion of the Roman Empire. We can reach the whole Roman Empire. And he said, I want to base my ministry out of Rome. That's what he was saying. It didn't matter what his circumstance said. Circumstance said, you're old. Man, you've been through a lot. At that point in his life, he'd been shipwrecked multiple times. He'd been beaten multiple times. He'd been left for dead. 
He'd been bitten by snakes, all kinds of things. But he said, God's not through with me yet. He didn't let his circumstances determine his future. And that's one thing I want to tell you, is that we can never let our circumstances determine our future. I want to say it again so you hear it. Never let your circumstances determine your future. Let God determine your future. Place your future in the hands of our Heavenly Father and say, God, I trust you with anything you want to do with my life and just see what he will do. Because too many times we say, you know what, if, if my job would change, then maybe I could do something great for God. You know what, if I had more time, you know, if my marriage was better, maybe when my kids get to college, maybe when, and we have all these things that we say, if these circumstances were different in my life, if I had a better home life, if I had a better support system, and we... we we qualify all these things, but what God wants, to know, wants us to know is we're letting our circumstances determine our future and letting, instead of letting God determine our future. There's a story in Genesis chapter 11 um, about the early history of the human race. There was this, this city called Babel where these people gathered together. And there were um, humanity was united under one, under one communication, one language at that point. And they came together and they said, let's build a tower that reaches into the heavens and we will make our name known when we do it. And so they began building this tower and God saw it and he, he split them up. He divided them. He caused them to speak different languages and they couldn't finish the project. But this is what he said in Genesis chapter 11, verse six. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Did you hear what God said about the people? He said, nothing that they propose to do will be impossible for them. Anything they want to do, anything they attempt to do, because they're unified, because they're together, nothing they want to do will be impossible because of the unity they have. Now, sometimes we hear that story and we think God must have been God must have been insecure, that he was afraid that they were going to make it to heaven, and then what? And it's like the scene on The Wizard of Oz when the, the curtain is pulled back and they realize he's not great and powerful Oz, he's just an old guy behind the curtain. God wasn't nervous about that. He wasn't insecure about that. He was not, he was not nervous or threatened by their ambition. He was offended by their motivation. He was offended by the fact that they would say, we're going to make our name great. We're, we're going to build this tower and we're going to get all the glory. And God goes, no, 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 no. Who gave you breath in your lungs today? Yeah, that was, that was me, okay? Who gave you strength to work today? That was me. Who gave you the creativity, the engineering mind to begin to build this tower? That was me. But you're going to take the glory for it. See, God's not insecure, but he does not share the glory with us. Because it is not our glory. It's God's glory. God wasn't threatened by their ambition. He was offended by their motivation. I, I firmly believe when we endeavor to do ambitious, big, bold, audacious things for God, he delights in it. Uh, I told the story earlier, but my, my daughter Abby is 13. She's an eighth grader at the junior high. And, um, and she's starting a Bible club on her campus this year. And I'm so excited. I didn't make her do it. I didn't coerce her to do it. It was something she wanted to do. They, don't ha they didn't have a Bible club at the Indiana Junior High campus, but she decided I'm gonna start a, a Bible club. And she was a little nervous when she got this thing, when she started the idea and was talk about it and working through it and what are we gonna talk about? What are we gonna do? But she had a friend over that's helping her with the club and they began working through the process and this is what we're gonna do and here's the scriptures we're gonna share and here's the games we're gonna play and here's what we're gonna do. And what is our vision? What is our vision for this club? This is what my 13 year old daughter was saying. And as a dad, I was 
pumped. I was so excited about this because my daughter is doing something ambitious. She's doing something that really might be a little bit beyond her, but I love it because she's trying to do something great for God. And in the same way that I delight in my daughter who's trying to do something great for God, I think when we say, God, I want to do something bold and it's terrifying and it's scary, but I know it's going to be for your glory and I'm going to to step out and do it. I think God delights in that. He's not scared by our ambition. But the truth is, when people are unified, when people are together, we begin to imagine the impossible. We win better together, but we dream bigger together as well. These boys in McFarland, they begin to dream about things that weren't even a reality just a little bit before that. And the team began setting higher and higher goals. They began winning more and more. They began to see more success. And one of the final goals that they had set was to make it to the California State Championship meet. They had to do well in their final race, and it would not be an easy race for them. The competition was going to be stiff, um, and they had an obstacle that seemed difficult at best, and and at worst, the obstacle seemed impossible. How big? I told you 20 times, Danny. Very. All right? Don't worry. That's why we trained. I know, but how big? That big. Take a good look, guys, because this is where we qualify for state. All we got to do is be in the top four. That's it. Congratulations. Team to watch. Thanks. And coach to watch. Palo Alto's got its eye on you. Could be something coming up if you're interested. Coaches, you have three minutes. Good luck out there. You too, coach. Okay. Come on. Everybody get in here. Danny, quit looking at the mountain. It's not going away, and neither are you. You're going to be all right. I've seen you out in the fields. You're an ox. So when you're in pain out there on this mountain, I want you to remember, so is the guy next to you and the guy in front of you. This is going to come down to which runners can handle the pain. So I want you to look at them, and I want you to look at each other, and ask yourself, who's tougher? My money's on you. Call it, Danny. Uno, dos, tres. Okay, let's go. Nice shorts, dude. You play golf? Yeah, I do. This ain't golf. Sir!
How do we do? Can we make it? It's close. We're right on the edge. Look at that. Look at that. You did it. Best in California. McFarland's going to state. You hear that? We're going to state. McFarland is going to state. We see that we win better together, we dream bigger together, finally, the impossible is possible together. Um, these guys would have never dreamed that they'd be able to do what they were able to do, but when they came together, the impossible, that which seemed impossible, became possible. There's a story in 1 Samuel about a, a young man, his name was Jonathan, he was the, the son of the king of Israel at that time, the king's name was Saul. And they were in this bitter war with the Philistines. And Jonathan and his troops were far outnumbered by the Philistines. And Jonathan had a, an armor bearer. All, all, um, all the Israeli um, officers at that time, and most armies at that time, that their officers would have an armor bearer. And it was somebody who had to be very brave. And they would carry the armor for the officer so that they wouldn't have to carry that load. Um, usually had a very high mortality rate, but they also had to be very brave and very loyal. So Jonathan and his armor bearer are sitting there, and this is what happens in, in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 6. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. That was a derogatory term that Jews would often use for those that were not Jewish. And he said, it may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving many or by few. And so what he's saying is, let's you and I go attack the garrison. Let's you and I go attack this army. What do you say? And this is his response in verse 7. And his armor bearer said to, them, said to him, do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. What an incredible response. What incredible loyalty this is. That this man would say, you know what, it seems crazy, it seems impossible, but I am together with you. I believe that God is calling us to do this, and, and we might die doing it, but let's go do it. I'm with you, heart and soul. I'm all in. He said, I'm together with you on this. It seems impossible. And if you read the story on, uh, Jonathan and his armor bearer went in. And they scattered the army. They killed dozens, but Israel won the victory that day because these two men acted boldly and they did what seemed impossible because that's what God had called them to do. 
In Matthew chapter 18, uh, Jesus is talking, but he, he shares this, this passage that, that we know today. A lot of people know this verse because typically we use it when, in churches usually we use it when nobody shows up to something. So, um, you know, if we have something and only a few people show up, a lot of times people go, well, where two or three are gathered together, God is in their presence also. And it's true, but we use it in the wrong context there. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus was talking about people in the body of Christ who have um, gotten sideways with each other, that, that we've gotten cross, that I've been offended by someone else. And, and what Jesus is talking about is that in the body, we go to each other and we share our grievances and say, hey, here's what happened. Here's what's going on in my life, and please forgive me. Let's make this right. It's about being reconciled together. And so what Jesus is saying here is he says in Matthew 18, 24, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. What he's saying is when you are connected, when you're reconciled, when you are together with two or three other people, the Spirit of God is in that place. And I will tell you where the Spirit of God is, there's power. Where the Spirit of God is, there's authority. Where the Spirit of God is, there's freedom. So when we're united together, the impossible becomes possible. What seemed totally unachievable becomes achievable. In your marriage, maybe you're in a marriage that's difficult and you think it's impossible that we're ever gonna be able to work this out. The impossible becomes possible together when you're unified. In, in your workplace, maybe you've got some difficult relationships, maybe you've got a difficult relationship with your boss and you say, this is impossible. The impossible is possible together. Why don't you allow your spirit to be unified and say, God, what do you want to do through this? How do you want to work through this? Maybe you're in a, in a difficult financial position. You're like, God, I need you to come through. There's been a lot of layoffs locally in the last few weeks, in the last few months, and maybe you're one of those people that have been laid off and you're sitting here going, God, I don't know what's going to happen. It seems impossible. I will tell you this, the impossible becomes possible when we're together, when we're united, when we're believing together. This is good for our church, it's good for your family, it's good for your workplace, no matter what it is. The impossible becomes possible together. You know, before we can be united as a body, before we can see God do the impossible things, you have to be connected and united and together with Christ before anything else happens. And so I wanna give you an opportunity for that right now. If you would, bow your head and close your eyes all over this room. If you're here today, and you say to me, Mel, I'm not, and I'm not really a follower of Jesus. I don't really have a relationship with him, but I want to. I want, I want to be one with him. I want to be together with him today. I don't, I don't just want religion. I just don't want to show up on Sundays. I just, I don't want that anymore. I want to know him. I want to be together. I want to be one with Christ. And I want to start that today. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you come forward. I just want to pray with you right in your seat, right where you're at. So if you're here today and you say, I want to get some things right with God. I want to be one with Christ today. I want to have a relationship with him. I want to make him Lord of my life. Would you just slip your hand up all over this room and say, that's me. Pray for me, Mel. Thank you, ma'am. Over here on my left. Thank you. Over here on my extreme left. I see you, sir. You can put your hand down. Who else says that's me? Pray for me. Down here on my right. I see you, ma'am. Awesome. Awesome. Who else says, pray for me, Mel. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. Thank you, ma'am, over here on my left. Thank you, up in the balcony. I see you over there on my left. That's awesome. Thank you, up there in the balcony on my left again. I see you. Praise the Lord. Wait just a couple more seconds. Anybody else? Say, that's me, Mel. Pray for me. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life today. All right.
This is what I want to do. I want to say a really simple prayer, and I want every person in this place to repeat the prayer, whether you raised your hand or not. We're going to say this together. We're going to be unified in this and say this as one voice. Now listen, the Word of God tells us that when we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Christ rose from the dead, that He is able to save us. But that is the beginning of the process where we are introduced to Christ and we're, we're whole. But then it begins this process of discipleship and growth in our lives. So this is not the final step. This is the beginning of a journey for you. So if you would, everybody in the place, repeat this prayer after me. Say, Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving me. Even at my worst. Even. Today, I give you my best. Everything I am is yours. Use it for your glory. I commit to follow you for the rest of my life. I'm never going back to old ways, old sin, or old thinking. I am yours. Thank you for loving me. I choose you today. In Jesus' name, amen.